hello, hello, you fabulous interior design professional, you, you creative genius, you wonderful human being. You're in the right place. This is Business of Design, episode 217. It's kind of like a love letter for emerging designers. Not so much a love letter as the advice you need from your big sister. Let's put it that way. And it's featuring an interior design professional from Washington, D.C., Annie Elliott. She's a frequent guest on the show these days. And she just has so much wisdom to share. You know those superstar interior designers who just generously, generously give to everyone around them? That's who this is. That's what Annie is like. Annie and I recorded this podcast a couple months back before the vaccine rollout had started to gain some momentum. I think it's safe to say that her conclusion that we're all super busy is only proving to be truer as more clients and more designers and more trades are vaccinated and we can safely meet face-to-face again. I have no less than seven meetings booked during the month of May, which will allow me to catch up face-to-face with clients. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm wondering how one dresses for such things. Can I wear my sweats and my Adidas? Am I going to have to put a curling iron to my hair? So many questions. (laughs) One thing is clear, though. The notion I had in my head when this all began way back in March of 2020, that the interior design community was one more time going to be steamrolled by an economic turndown was so wrong. And I don't think I've ever been happier to be wrong, flat out wrong. I find myself um, this year being just so grateful that my business is thriving and that so many in the industry are thriving as well. It's not perfect. You know, nothing is perfect. We are experiencing incredible delays in terms of product delivery and our trades are run off their feet. And this is really a time where you can tell your A team from your B team, you know, or your A team from your C minus team. But overall, I think a lot of us are feeling optimistic, and it looks like this may last for some time, maybe quite a long time, which is wonderful. Annie has so many pearls of wisdom to unpack during this episode, dedicated, I think, to the emerging designer. What do you need to know when you're first starting out? How can you achieve success faster than the rest of us did? One thing we landed on, and I I think this is really important to remember, it's something I didn't have the opportunity to take advantage of. And if I had to go back in time again, of course, this concept would have made a dramatic difference in my life. So here it is. If you are new, you are going to learn on the job. You are going to make mistakes. You are going to suffer for those mistakes, but you're going to learn and you will get stronger and better and more efficient over time, particularly, or maybe even only, if you have a framework to work within. Annie talks about the frustration of constantly reinventing the wheel, and you just don't have to do that anymore. You know, when I graduated in 1991, I did. I couldn't find a designer alive who was willing to share anything meaningful with me in terms of how they run their business. It was such a closed shop. Nobody would talk about their fees. Nobody would talk about how they charged. And certainly you didn't go around telling everybody how you were suffering if your clients weren't happy on a project. 
It was only after years of sharing vulnerably that finally, finally, people started to open up about the truth. This business is hard and it's so much more difficult if you try to go it alone. Wherever you are on the journey to becoming the greatest designer of all time, it is okay to price your services in such a way that you can take a salary, even if it's a small one, right from the beginning. Learning while you make money is infinitely more satisfying than learning while you make no money. Trust me. And find a mentor like Annie Elliott and do what she says to do. For example, she says, don't fall into the trap of thinking you have to do anything for a client just because you're new. Of course, you have to keep the lights on true, but you also have to be prepared to start with a modest professional business. So gradually you'll attract the clients you want, people who are drawn to your style as well as to your incredible professionalism. Have a blueprint for success, but then understand, you know, here's the goal. Here's how you should strive to achieve that goal. And you're going to do everything you can to follow the model in front of you. But occasionally, if you have to take on a project that isn't your dream job, it isn't your ideal client, that's okay. We all do those jobs from time to time. As usual, any talk with Annie Elliott is a good conversation, so I'm glad you're here. Annie is a recovering art historian. These are her words. She developed her eye and aesthetic sensibilities studying 20th century art and working in some of the nation's top museums. In 2004, armed with a master's degree in art history and interior design coursework at Corcoran College of Art and Design, which is now part of GW University, And she says, with incredible naivete, Annie opened Bossy Color. Today, the homes created by Annie Elliott Design feature a distinctive, exuberant mix of antiques, art, and modern furnishings. You should definitely check her out, AnnieElliottDesign.com, on Facebook, same thing, and on Instagram, same thing. Don't worry if you're driving. All of these notes are at businessofdesign.com. Annie's also an associate member of ASID, and her design work and insights have appeared in HGTV Magazine, This Old House, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and The Washingtonian, as well as The Wall Street Journal. Wow, pretty good. No wonder she's such a smart woman. And speaking of smart women, I'm going to go check in with our very own Cheryl Horn. Cheryl, do you ever feel envious or jealous of anyone? I'm putting you on the spot. You had no idea I was going to ask you this. <laughs> yeah, that came out of nowhere. That's that's not our typical. Hi, how are you? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. I'm sure I do. I don't have an example off the top of my head, but um, I think everyone does from time to time. Yes, I got hit with a big case of the ugly jealousies this weekend as I was scrolling on instant, uh, instant, instant ungratification, otherwise known as social media. So I'm going to do a podcast on envy and jealousy specifically as it relates to our industry uh, next week. Anyway, I'm just noodling around all the ideas and just the kind of the ugliness I found in myself. Ugh, I don't want to have that. So, Well, and I'm sure a lot of what comes up for people right now is comparing 
your reality to other people's Instagram feeds. Yes. Yes. I'm positive. That's exactly what's going on. And I don't like it one bit. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into territory we're both more comfortable with. What's happening at Business of Design? Uh, well, this week we've got our next BOD live and we're going to be talking about your dream team. So mm. Laura Martin Bovard, which is one of our BOD members that I think is becoming quite familiar within our business yeah. of design community. She's agreed to join us and help lead the conversation with a couple of her staff members. Uh, so my main reminder is that this week's BOD live is at, is still on our Wednesday, but it's at 9 p.m. EST. Every once in a while, we like to do a later episode to accommodate our members elsewhere in the world specifically Australia, because so many of them wake up in the middle of the night to join us when it's in the afternoon. So yes, but the reality is for some people, that's just a better time anyway. So, you know, for those of you who live on the East Coast or the West Coast, it's one o'clock. You can feel free to bring your own cocktail to the event as well. Yeah. So again, it's going to be Wednesday, April 14th at 9 p.m. EST. And then I also wanted to do a shout out for um, our boss groups. Uh, we've mm. had so much interest since we did the information sessions yeah. and we're getting a lot of applications. And Are, we, um, of are course, we closed? Have we closed? We haven't yet, but we are getting close. We are not saying yes to everyone, but we are filling spots and we do only have a few left. One question that has come up, uh, at least it's come to my attention a few times, is how are we different than other groups that are, quote, mastermind groups? We definitely didn't call it a mastermind group because it's so grossly overused. But a couple of things. First of all, there is an application process. And while we love everyone, we know that these groups have to be for those people who have already achieved a certain level of competence and success in their business. Uh, and we're looking to take those people to the next level. So that's exciting. Secondarily, you have Team BOD, and that includes me acting as almost like a board of directors, right? That are, we are going to be there to direct the learning and to make sure your group is moving forward in a specific direction that we have plotted out. And you'll also have a CFO, which for me, if there was nothing else worthwhile about joining a boss group, having a CFO to advise me on how to run my business, man, that would have been a game changer for me early on. So do step up, get those applications in, and we are going to close those groups, I would say, in the next within a, a, the next month. And I'm super excited to be part of the boss group for sure. Yes, please apply for boss. And we'd also love to see you at BOD Live this Wednesday. Thanks, Cheryl. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. I do. Oh, wait. I know okay. what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I know. Um, we are talking about how... In the 15 steps, sometimes I do the trade day, I flip it and I do the trade day after the presentation. I so remember we were gonna, that. 
remember that? Yes. So we wanted to revisit. So I actually now normally do it your way, but I do, I do understand the case for doing it the first way. So I thought I would make the case. I love that. I'm going to just bust in here and say that Annie and I did have this conversation. Should you host Trey Day before or after you've done the drawings and planning? It's a question that we get frequently. And if you are a Business of Design member, thank you. And you can hear the entire conversation coming up on episode 11 of MoBOD, Members Only Business of Design with Annie Elliott. In the meantime, there's really good stuff in the Members Only podcasts. They're short and sweet, no commercials, just immediately into the good stuff. So go to businessofdesign.com and check them out. You'll hear Business of Design superstars like Darcy Heather, Leanne Bennell, and Nyla Free talk about their contracts. Jody Carter of Sydney, Australia is going to talk about her operations manual. So many members specifically share their inside profit and loss numbers with the community here, which I think is really important for us to be talking more openly about juicy stuff in there. Don't miss out. And now let's rejoin the conversation with Annie and we finally will land on a topic for this interview. There was something else you said in your application that was about like the shoulds, the, 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 Oh, um, like uh, uh neophyte shaming or yes. like, um, yeah. Yes. Can we yeah. start with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> Annie, how are you? I am fine, Kimberly. How are you doing? I'm well, I'm well. It's been forever. Although recently we, um, your previous episode was a repeat. So I got to hear your yes. voice again and we're all like, hey, what's going on with her? Let's reach out. <laughs> well, thank you. That was very, very kind of you to play it again. And so what is happening these days? Well, I mean, I'm sure like many of my colleagues, we're really busy right now, which is sort of, you know, almost embarrassing to say since the country is in a state of disarray. But, you know, we're all pretty busy um, and have adapted our work methods to deal with, you know, contactless interior design. And um, we actually just finished our first completely virtual project. I had not seen it until we photographed it in December. Isn't that crazy? And it was, nothing was retail. It was still all custom, but it was such a crazy experience. But the woman, it was one room, but it was everything in the room. And the woman could not have been more obliging, more grateful. We just got the pictures back this morning, actually. And what a fun project. That is so exciting. We were so close to finishing our first project that was completely during the period of COVID. And sure enough, another lockdown. And then the clients, um, the building, the management company said, even though you started your project before the cutoff date, we're saying no to any oh. trades entering the building. Oh. So we seem to oh. like get so close to a finish line and then, oh, it's just snatched away. And yes, you know, oh. like you said, it's hard to complain when you still are employed and so many people aren't. So Right, yeah. right. I know. It's a st- strange time, strange times for yeah. sure. Yes, it is. And One of the things we decided we were going to talk about today is how to create a more welcoming environment for those new designers to how much wiggle room can you give them before your kindness hurts them more than helps them? Right, right. Um, 
I think my, my biggest thought about emerging designers or people at the beginning of their careers is that they need to have a framework. I think having something like business of design is such a gift. And I encourage, you know, when people call me up for advice or, you know, can you tell me how you got into the business? I always say, you've got to join a group like this so that you can learn from the start how things should go you know, the 15 steps and how things should play out, what an ideal project looks like. But what I faced earlier in my career, you know, I get business advice from different sources and early on, I mean, none of us is doing this for fun, right? Everyone wants to make a living <laughs> doing this to support our families and all of that. And in the beginning, I was told many times, like, do not take any money out, put it back into the business. Don't take any money out. You can't have a salary. You can't take any. I was just like, what percentage is okay? Or can I like take out a few? And no, 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 you can't do that. So, or you need six months of operating expenses in the bank. Right. I, I remember told. that advice. Yeah. And how does anyone get to that in the beginning? You know what I mean? So I think one of the pieces of advice we give now is, you know, pay yourself first, definitely make sure salaries are considered overhead. You know, it is not an optional thing. You can't decide whether you're going to get paid. You have to assume you will and build beyond that. Um, so that, you know, this business of reality versus how things should be, I just think emerging designers have to know that Maybe all of the structures are aspirational for a while, but it's important to have the structure and know how things should look so that you're not flying all over the place, taking anyone who calls and doing anything anyone wants, because that will drive you crazy too. And it will prevent you from growing, you know? Yeah. I so relate to everything you said. And then, so using this salary example, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. I never took money. I didn't even worry about taking money because my husband right. had a salary. And so right. I'll just pay myself at the end of the year if there's any money right. left over. And then when there was no money left over, I said, oh, that's okay because I'm still learning, which was crazy. So now right. I agree. You pay yourself first because that is the quickest way for you to, to see with your own eyes where you need to charge more money to earn enough yes. to pay yourself. So, okay. I believe it would have been a disservice to me. It was a disservice to me not to give me that messaging in 1991 when I graduated from design school. I wish I had that information. Yes. So what else are we letting the new designers, you know, do for a little while before mm -hmm. we tell them the truth, don't do that, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, I wish so much. Somebody had said to me, the very first client you take is, is the beginning. That's where you're setting the bar. And it right. took me many, right. many years to inch my clients up to the point of a project that I was happy to work on. I don't yes, think any of exactly. us really wants to spend that much time doing that, right? No, exactly, exactly. And so I do think in the beginning, while I'm saying don't take every project, but you know, we work in terms of an ideal client. Who's your ideal client? What's your ideal budget? What's the ideal psychographic? All of that. We go through all of that. But then if somebody calls and they want paint colors and you don't do paint colors or you don't do them as a standalone service, but you're not very busy, you might want to do it. And so I think in the beginning, it is okay to take jobs that don't fill your ideal um, because you have to learn and every project is a learning experience, as we all know. 
But I think what you can tell designers in the beginning, instead of looking for ideal clients, look for red flags. So even though you want to be able to take, um, you want the, the flexibility as an emerging designer to maybe take a, a, a breadth of projects, but you still shouldn't work with crazy people or people who are going to take advantage of you or people who don't want to pay you regardless of what you're charging. So I think that's an I'm interesting. I'm laughing you, know. you said... <laughs> Like you can't, you don't want to work with crazy people. I'm like, well, that no, nobody in my family then is what you're saying. I know there is that, there is right? that, but absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But yeah. you know, I do think that's something from day one. You can give yourself permission to say, no, I'm saying no to the crazies. I'm saying no to things I really, really don't want to do, or a project that's two hours away. I, I'm going to give my myself permission to say no to those, but. If the person seems decent, if it's, you know, a self-contained project, I think I can do, let's look at it as a learning experience and it's okay to take that. Right. And I think there are the jobs and the clients that you publicly talk about. You know, for example, right. you might have photos on your website of a particular project that you feel great about, but there are jobs right. you take where you know you're never going to take a photograph. I will never photograph this job yes. because it's, yes. as you said, it was, you know, something small. Or if we get a, a call from somebody, she's a, f a friend of a past client, seems right. lovely, teeny little job, and we have the bandwidth. Right. We start the job knowing we're not going to take a photograph. Exactly. And then sometimes there's that awful moment in the middle of a project when the client changes his or her mind about something and Amy and I just look at each other and we're like, well, there go the photographs, you know, <laughs> like, oh, well. <laughs> I had a recent conversation with another designer. We discussed, I think it was on a members only podcast, how enticing getting those photographs is. The kind oh, of gosh. crazy stuff we'll do to get the yes. photograph. You know, well, exhibit you... A, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I just this morning, I'm gesturing people in podcast land can't see this, but every journalist right now wants to write about home offices, right? That's all they want to write about. And I don't have good pictures of people's home offices. It just didn't occur to me. And so guess what? I'm photographing my own office, which means guess what? I'm wallpapering the back of my bookcase. I mean, it's insane. It's insane, you know? So yes, the things we do. But wasn't it Celery Kemble who said, if you don't photograph a project, it's like it never happened? Yeah. I think, well, yeah. actually, I don't know who said it, but exactly. Is, it, is a, that, that's a good thing, right? Is that a good thing? Yeah. Or is that not I a mean, good thing? well, it's not a great thing because photographing is so expensive, <laughs> but I think it's, it's, it, it's a good um, thing to keep in mind if you're wondering whether or not to photograph a project. You just got to spend money on the pictures. You I have see what to. you're saying. Okay. I just want to say that one of the best things I ever did was hire a tag team of stylists and publicists before I do the photography. Now I just turn to that team and I think, what do you think? Is this publishable? With all of their contacts and all of their leads in publications in the industry, can you see this project inside a publication that matters to me, right? Uh, in May, we're going to be photographing a project that I'm really proud of. The client loves it. It's totally her and it's super traditional. And when I spoke to my team, they said that 
it's not really a project they could see any major magazine publishing. It's just not what's fashionable right now. And that saves me some money, right? So instead of taking two days to photograph the house and getting every angle, I'm going to do half a day and I'm going to take the three rooms I'm most excited about. And I'm not going to put any effort into trying to publish it, at least not in a print magazine. I just find hiring that extra layer of expertise makes the investment of photography so much better. I think I took us down a rabbit hole there, so let's go right back. And I want to look at the flip side of the coin. We're really Mm going to confuse everybody now. You take those jobs that you don't want to photograph, and those clients go on to tell their friends that you did that work for them. Yeah. So you're... In a way, you, there is some risk to doing a job that's not right for you, right? The risk is that you're not going to get a repeat job. You're not going to get a referral job. Or a bigger risk is you do get a referral job. Oh, I know you came over to my friend Diana's house and she spent $1,300 on a new living room and I only have $1,200. So right, I want right, to hire right, you right. too, right? That, yes, that is a really, really good point, Kimberly. That's an excellent point. And that's why I think another tip I would give new designers, and I actually give myself this tip all the time, you have to be very willing to be honest with your clients or with a prospect who calls, oh, I'm so sorry, we don't actually offer that service. Or, oh, I'm so sorry, we actually have a two-room minimum, everything in the room top to bottom. So sorry. Can I give you another name? You know, that kind of thing. Um, And then as pertains to what I, you know, some things I'd like to talk about in the business part of this call, but is um, the willingness to speak with clients or prospects about money up front. It's just so important to be honest with people up front so they can get used to these numbers. But I know, especially when you're starting out, those conversations and talking about money is really hard. I would have scared off any decent client who called me my first 10 years in business with how (laughs) I talked about money. I was so naive and immature about the money stuff and so afraid of it, just so sure Mm -hmm. that I was out of my depth, that I wasn't a money person. And I almost took pride in it. Like I'm not a corporation. I'm not, you know, I'm an artist and you're going to be, you're going (laughs) to die broke if you write, probably. (laughs) Yikes. Exactly. Exactly. But you bring up a really good point. Like why not as a new person, first job out of the gate, set a minimum. I don't work on one room. We do two room minimum or we don't Mm -hmm. take jobs that are less than $50,000. I mean, I can tell you as a new person, those words could never have come out of my mouth. I would have been terrified. But had I had that class in school and had I been Mm -hmm. taught how to have that conversation, I know I would have made my business a success. Let me say this in English. I know... made my business a success much sooner. It took me a long time to make all the stupid mistakes I made. And we really don't want the new people to make those mistakes. And I think that's why we say should. Exactly. No, that's absolutely true. And I, you know, I said for years, I've invented the wall, the, the wheel a million times. I mean, I have invented the wheel a million times, mostly with processes, which is why something like business of design is so helpful because it just takes that out. I mean, we all work in isolation, really, you know, so if you're starting out and you're a one person shop and we know they don't teach you this in design school, what does a contract look like? What does a purchase order look like? What does, you know what I mean? So 
yeah, I think being able to give designers a framework and the tools is so important. And then also the encouragement to say, no, you got to talk about money, you got to talk about money. But then also be a little supportive if they'd taken on a nightmare client and, you know, they thought it was going to be a little job that they needed for the money, but it turned into something else. You know, we've all been there. Yeah. I mean, I would like to say there's going to come a day when you never find yourself in that position again, but that just isn't true. You just get better at spotting it and more quick to get out of it, I guess. Right, right, Um, right. You know, but if I could rewind the clock, some of the things you're talking about are the things I wish I had come out of the gate with. Pay myself a salary first, establishing a firm fee structure, a firm pricing model, Mm -hmm. um, setting perhaps a minimum uh, understanding yes. who my ideal client is. I mean, there's like, there are these 20 fundamental things that you should know before you take the first client. And yes. I think I learned one of them maybe in design school. I don't know. Right. Did you, what did you learn to design? I mean, I learned how to draw. Yeah, I learned well, how to draw. I actually, well, that's, which is important, which is important. Right. I actually didn't go to design school. So all of my design school stories are from people I work with. Right. And every single one of them over the years has said, oh my gosh, we learned none of this. Nothing. We learned You know what we this. spent a good deal of time on? A really a, an enormous amount of time on the color wheel. If I could give all, everybody listening one piece of advice, throw it out. Don't worry about it. You're never going to need it. I have not once had to figure out how to use the complements of purple and yellow. Oh, my, oh my God. Gosh. And then that so, is so funny. It's tragic. And then an enormous amount of time, a full class, yeah. like, you know, multiple weeks on uh, textiles how fabrics are made. You know what I need to know about that? I need to know how to ask the person I'm buying the fabric from. What's, yes. in, what's in it? Is this for upholstery? Can I put this right. on an outdoor? Right. Can an Irish setter jump yes. on this fabric? Like yes. that's what I need to know. And can I spill a glass of red wine? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. That you is should what open you need a design know. school. You should just open a design school, <laughs> Annie Elliott, just right now in your Annie spare Elliott's time. practical guide, right? Yes. In my spare time. Exactly. Oh my gosh. That's funny about the color wheel though. What a waste of time. Okay. So, so I wish I had known about salary. I wish I had known that I had the power to set some limits and parameters. Mm -hmm. And I wish someone had told me that when you set those parameters, rather than scaring clients away, it gives them something to strive for. So that client who's phoning you, who has one room and you say, I'm really sorry, we only take two rooms almost invariably will think to herself, well, okay, well, we were also going to maybe do the bedroom next year. So why didn't you come and look at both of those? Right. Right. You just right away doubled the size of the job just because you Mm -hmm. had that boundary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's really important to listen when people first call that conversation is so important. I mean, it really is because the more you talk with the person and kind of tease it out and ask them more and more questions, you know, it's it just can be so, so telling as to whether it's a project you want to take on or not. Now, I will say that occasionally you have somebody call and say, oh, I need, you know, I need a rug in the living room and I need this in the dining room. And they're like, oh, so sorry, we don't really work that way. And then they say, Oh, but we're going to do a major renovation next year. So, and that's like the teaser. And I I never fall for that one. That is a carrot on a stick. And (laughs) the problem with that is the most often sticks just keep growing and growing. So the carrot just stays (laughs) 
just farther ahead. and farther just away. Right up ahead. Yeah. Oh, I for me that's a huge red flag. Somebody yeah. who says, Oh, yeah. if if this goes well, then exactly. no, uh-uh, no thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, one thing, this would be a whole other podcast, but I do wonder. This is such a woman-dominated field. Would men have these conversations any more easily? Do you think it's easier? I mean, is this a woman thing, do you think? Because I tend to think maybe that it's just harder for women in general, I mean, sweeping generalizations, but to be assertive like this and to state your worth and say, no, that's not the kind of project we do. It's interesting. Um, yes, it's it's a it's a generalization, but in our experience, where we probably have about twenty percent of our population uh, are men at business and design, eighty percent are females. The guys back that up. A lot of the men feel a lot more comfortable from the first day asking for money. They're comfortable. They're comfortable saying, I need to be profitable. Like, I even felt uncomfortable acting like I needed money. It felt to me like that was something shameful or embarrassing. Exactly, exactly. Yes, dirty or something. And again, it's this is a for-profit business. You know, this is not charity. This is not me just being nice. It's a business. Um, So I'm glad to hear you say the men backing that up, because I wouldn't want to, you know, go throwing that around if if there weren't some info on it. Yeah, it's not 100%, but a lot of them. And I've been in, I've been in live seminar sessions, um, where invariably, there's a couple guys in the room and a guy will say, well, you know, at the end, we'll say, okay, what are you going to start charging now? What's your new fee? And a guy will, you know, the women will say, I'm 95 an hour, I'm 85 an hour, I'm 125 an hour. And some guy will say, I'm, I'm going to be 300 an hour. And everybody's like, he can't do that. He just started. I'm like, right. actually, he can. Yeah. And he'll yeah. get yeah. better clients because that number has perceived value. And he'll exactly. he'll make the same mistakes the designer who's charging $85 an hour makes. He'll just make mm-hmm. them earning three times the amount of money. That is exactly right. That is exactly right. No, that is something that I've really taken from you, Kimberly, in that whenever I'm talking even to a colleague, I'm very direct in asking people about their businesses because how else are we going to learn? So I always say like, I charge X, what are you charging? And they'll say, oh, I charge, you know, very low amount. And I'll say, okay, I'm Kimberly Selden. Give yourself, you just got a raise. You just got a raise. You know, you have to, you just have to state your worth. And then do you follow up to see if they gave themselves a raise? Because (laughs) what I've learned is people will say like, yeah, I'm definitely going to get a raise. (laughs) And then you run into them a month later, they're like, oh yeah, no, not yet, because you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. One I can think of definitely did, and I was so Good. proud. But yes, exactly. Yeah, we do have to push each other along, I think. And maybe, you know, yes. the next generation and the next generation will be better at this. Like, I can't imagine the next yeah. generation isn't going to have a leg up on us. We had no, there was nobody. I mean, I spent thousands right. of dollars on private design coaches who knew nothing, nothing about design. Yeah, uh, that is something I've really learned to trust my gut about so many business-related things. You know, I always assume that if somebody says he or she is a graphic designer, well, they must know more about graphic design than I do. Of course, they're going to come up with a better logo than I would. And guess what? If I don't like a logo, I'm. you have to trust that. So it's it's tough, right? You want to respect the expertise, but you, you have to go with what you're feeling. 
Yes. Yes. All right. So (laughs) anybody who's listening, you just started out or let's be inclusive and say, if you were like me and you had, you were so backwards when you started, you might, you might be 10 years in. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's no shame in that either. Right. Like just start where you are. And from this day forward, it's take a salary, get comfortable with the money conversations, practice in the mirror, role play with a friend, say it until you say it and say it and say it until you don't have to stutter and hem and haw. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Create post-it notes on the desk. You you know, I still have those. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Some minimums perhaps like we don't, you know, I don't roll out of bed for less than X, whatever it's going to be like. (laughs) We we don't do less than two rooms or we don't do less than one floor of the home or we, you know, whatever it is, set those minimums, try it and see what happens. You might be really surprised how effective they are. Yeah. And sometimes you'll get a little pushback. I mean, recently I hung up the phone and felt really bad because a friend of a client called and it just wasn't the, luckily her timeline was such that there was no way we could have done it. But, you know, she kept me talking for so long. I finally said, look, I'm really sorry, but this just isn't the kind of work we do. It's sort of this in this room, this in this room. It's just, it's kind of, I made the mistake of saying, it's, it's kind of not a big pro. It's too small of a project. And that was not a wise thing to say because she kind of snapped and said, well, it's not that small. And I thought, oh no, but I just saved you so much money. You don't want to pay us to do this for you. You yeah. know, that's tricky. You don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. On the other hand, you're on the phone for free, which yes. is why, you know, you know what I would complain about, about that, and yes. that somebody yes. else should be answering your phone because that <laughs> well, would that's be so much I'm faster. Not- the pet, we are looking into a new phone phone system right now because when we were all in the office, I literally was not allowed to answer the phone because I will say yes to anyone. I feel that I want to help, you know, but no. So we're looking into something right now that's going to help that so that I never have to answer the phone again. <laughs> I had a call with Isoon a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, what happened to that lady? She goes, no, not for us. <laughs> I'm like, don't I even want to know what happened? Nope. 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 You're not, you're not ever going to meet her. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Out of your mind. Yeah. (laughs) Right. All right. So we'll, we'll do our best to stop shooting on all the new people, but new people, I hope you'll listen to wisdom, which comes from doing it the hard way over and over again. Years, years and years of doing things the hard way and reinventing the wheel. Yes. Benefit from this, please. (laughs) (laughs) Annie, you know, we like to end every episode with design intervention. What comes to mind? Well, I was going to talk about um, something else actually, but because of this conversation, I really think I will just emphasize again, how important it is to talk about money early and often. You know, especially if you're working with somebody who maybe doesn't have the biggest budget or has not hired a designer before, I think it's okay once you're working with them to say, okay, you want to do drapes and a stair runner and this. Well, okay, the stair runner could be about three to $5,000 and the drapes are going to be, those are going to be scary numbers to people and to some people. And you just have to kind of put it, we can prioritize, we can, we'll show you things in a lot of different budget ranges, but just know that, you know, that's, that's going to be a big part of your budget or what have you. 
I think that's terrific advice. When you're at the consultation, you're getting a feel for what, how is this client going to react to things like that? Like we would say, you know, a stair runner is going to be $10,000. The draperies are going to be $30,000. And if they're like, oh my gosh, you know, never, 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 then we're not, we're not for you. Like that's how it's going to go. And my advice, if you're new, whatever the number is, you think double it or triple it before it comes out of your mouth. I used to half it. Right, I'd think of a number mm-hmm. which was too small to begin with, and then I'd cut it in half because I was oh scared my gosh, that they wouldn't like so me. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Or that they wouldn't hire you. And guess what? It would have been so much better if they hadn't hired you, you know, nine times out of ten. Yeah. So exactly. yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a great point. Double or triple. Good advice from Annie Elliott. So nice to see you. <laughs> great to see you, Kimberly. Thanks so much for having me on. Anytime. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today 